Hi friends, this is Will Dyer, the pastor here at the First Baptist Church of Augusta. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the message that you are about to hear will give you some joy in your day. But more than that, I hope that this message will connect you to Jesus. The mission of our church is to connect people to Jesus Christ in a community of faith. And it is my greatest hope that the message you are about to hear will better connect you with Jesus and His way in the world. Friends, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 21. We are going to be looking at the triumphal entry this morning. Now, if you grew up as a follower of Jesus, undoubtedly you would have heard this story every Palm Sunday. But for those of you that haven't heard it, and I know that's increasing numbers of us, uh, this is an opportunity for us to take a deep dive and to look at what is actually happening. Because this story, it, it is revolutionary. It is countercultural. It is quintessentially Jesus, and it is a, a story that I have had on my heart and on my mind for the, fa- for the past couple of weeks. And so I invite you, uh, follow along with me as I read from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed, they shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, and they asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. We've all had these moments where the expectation that we have for an event doesn't match up with its reality. We've all had those moments, undoubtedly, where we have huge expectations for something that we've been waiting to go and do, and then when we actually experience it, the reality is nothing like it. I will never forget I was 17 years old, and those of you who know me well know I did not grow up going to church at all. And so I'm not a Christian when I'm 17 years old, but a kid from my high school comes and invites me, my friend Zach, and my other friend Wes to go to Panama City Beach. Now, he said it was with his church youth group, but all we heard was Panama City Beach. And if you remember Panama City in the late 1990s, It was pandemonium. And so my two friends and I are so incredibly pumped because we're going essentially, we think, to Sodom. And we didn't consider the fact that we were going with a church group. And so my expectations going into this beach trip were one thing. And then we arrive and we find out very quickly, not only is it not what we were expecting, but we're actually not in Panama City. 
we're in Laguna Beach. And we went through our church camp, and everything was fine. And I actually learned quite a lot. It wasn't the moment where I became a Christian, but I saw people who loved God and who loved each other. And it was a great experience for me, although my expectations absolutely did not match the reality. Sarah and I were talking about this very thing uh, earlier in the week. And we were talking about the first time that we went to the beach with, uh, our, with Miriam, our first daughter. And we had always loved going to the beach. My family owns a beach house in North Carolina, and so it's something we do every year. And Miriam was born, and eight weeks later we said, we're going to go to the beach, and it's going to be this amazing trip, and we'll set up a tent, and we'll bring lunch, and we'll put her underneath the tent. The wind will blow through it, and we'll spend all of our time out on the beach like we usually do. That was our expectation. But then the reality of going to the beach with an eight-week-old daughter was very, very far from our expectation. Number one, Miriam hated sand, as eight-week-olds tend to do. She did not nap because she wanted to nap in a crib, believe it or not. And so I remember Sarah picking up Miriam and walking back to our house just crying because the expectation did not match the reality. And I think the beach is heavy on my mind this week, as it is for many of you, because this was supposed to be spring break. This was supposed to be Master's Week. And the expectation has not matched the reality of our experience. But it isn't just beach trips that make me think about this. Actually, Palm Sunday is one of those moments as well. Palm Sunday, if you read the story of the triumphal entry, is one of those moments in the life of the church where I think the expectation that we have doesn't match with the reality of our experience. Uh, The church that I worked in prior to coming here, First Baptist Gainesville, every year our uh, Palm Sunday service was huge. The the kids would uh, process into the sanctuary, uh, waving those palm branches and singing those words, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The choir filled with a hundred people would sing, The King of glory comes, the nation rejoices. Open your gates before Him, lift up your voices. And the room was filled with celebration. And everyone left with this big smile on their face. And and that was their expectation of what they would do. But, But I think the reality of Palm Sunday, the reality of the triumphal entry isn't that. The reality of Palm Sunday, the reality of the triumphal entry, is that it only makes sense when you tie it to the cross of Jesus Christ. And so I think at a fundamental level, followers of Jesus have really misunderstood what is happening with that triumphal entry into Jerusalem by Jesus. But the good news for us is that we're not the first ones to misunderstand. As a matter of fact, those people who gathered together on that day, beside the gate leading into the old city of Jerusalem, 
they as well misunderstood what was happening. They misunderstood who Jesus was and why he was there. And if we can take just a few moments and talk about that together this morning, what I think is that the power of this triumphal entry can really make itself known to us. And reality and expectation can come together in a way that is really good. And so I want to invite you, put on your first century glasses just for a few moments this morning. And for some of you, you will know this. You'll know the things I'm about to talk about. But for an increasing number of us who are watching online and who are worshiping this morning, this might be new. And I think if we can understand what is happening in this story, then we can fully appreciate what Jesus is doing on Palm Sunday with this triumphal entry. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the writers of the Gospels, they tell us that this triumphal entry, Jesus coming into the city, he had left Bethany, another town, and he makes his way into Jerusalem, and it's six days before the Passover. So why is that so important? Well, the Passover, for those of us that don't know, Passover was the most important festival in the whole of the Jewish calendar because Passover was the moment in Israelite history when God had taken a group of slaves in Egypt and God, the Scripture says, heard their cries. And He called Moses to go and confront Pharaoh. And the story in the book of Exodus says that God acted and God on the Passover set his people free. And they crossed the Red Sea, and they went from slavery into freedom. And the book of Exodus says that everyone crossed over, and they sang, and they rejoiced because their life was good, and they had gone from oppression into a brand new reality. And that is really important for us to understand in this context of the triumphal entry. Because once again, the Jewish people, while they weren't in Egypt, now they were in Jerusalem. But once again, they found themselves really oppressed. They found themselves under the thumb of the Roman Empire that was cruel and brutal and vindictive. And so every Passover, the Jews would gather together in Jerusalem and they would celebrate the mighty act that God had done in Egypt. And they looked forward to and they prayed for the day when God would act again. And this time, God would set the people of Israel free from the oppression of the Roman Empire and set them up for what they were meant to be, which is the salt of the earth and the light of the world. They would be God's people once again. And the fact that Jesus' triumphal entry happened six days before Passover, that means something. The people were hoping for a new king. The people were hoping for a Messiah. The people had hoped that it would be Jesus. Matthew's gospel says that people laid their cloaks down on the ground so that Jesus could go over the top of them. A a signal of royalty. A signal of dignity. They believed that he was the one who was going to set the people free. Jesus riding in on a donkey. As Matthew says, it fulfills the prophecy of Zechariah 
that, that this new king would ride in humbly on a donkey and then he would be enthroned as the Messiah and the people of Israel would be who God had called them to be once again. And so people are really, really excited. But I think the most important thing of all, the one we tend to gloss over and don't spend a whole lot of time talking about, are those palm branches. Matthew says that people went and they cut those palm branches and they laid them on the ground. And again, it could be deference. It could be so that he doesn't have to get his feet dirty. But the fact of the matter is, if you put this in its cultural context, there's something far more significant happening. Because 200 years before the time of Jesus... There was a man named Judas Maccabeus, and Judas was a good Jew who loved God and who loved the temple. And at the time, 200 years before Jesus, there was a global military superpower known as the Seleucid Empire. And at the head of the Seleucid Empire was a man named Antiochus Epiphanes IV. Isn't that a phenomenal name? Antiochus Epiphanes, that word Epiphanes, God manifest. So the king of the Seleucid Empire believed he was God manifest. And he went into the city of Jerusalem and he declared that the temple was no longer for Yahweh, but the temple was now for Zeus. And the story goes that Antiochus Epiphanes IV attempted to sacrifice a pig in the Holy of Holies to Zeus. And it was in that moment when Judas Maccabeus and his followers revolted against the Seleucid Empire. And and no one expected this, but they won. They defeated Antiochus and his army and banished them from Jerusalem. And history tells us that as, as Judas Maccabeus made his way back into the city of Jerusalem... After running off the Seleucid Empire, the people waved palm branches because a new king had arrived on the scene. Don't you see what's happening? The people are fully expecting that just like Judas Maccabeus was a king, just like David was a king, so now Jesus will be a king. And Jesus pulls off this incredible act of political guerrilla theater and the people are ready for the king to arrive. And what they don't know is that their expectation isn't going to match reality. There's something even more fascinating. There are some scholars now who believe that as Jesus was coming in in the triumphal entry on one side of the city of Jerusalem. There was another event simultaneously happening on the other side of Jerusalem. Because again, it was Passover time and the Romans knew that the Jews would get excited and so they, every year, would engage in their own political theater. And every year as it began to be time for the Passover, Pontius Pilate, surrounded by a garrison of Roman military soldiers would, uh, would arrive into the city and Pilate would be seated on a white horse and the soldiers would be carrying their swords so that everyone would know who was in charge. 
And some scholars believe that at the exact moment when Pilate was processing into the city on a white horse, in that exact same moment, Jesus is processing into the city on a donkey. Don't you see what is happening in this story? It is political dynamite. And, and the people there in that day and all the Jews of the area would have thought the day has finally arrived. God is once again going to act and he's going to overthrow the Romans and he is going to get rid of those people who have had their boot on our throats and finally, once again, we are going to be free. Thank God. That's what the triumphal entry, their expectation was all about. And it wasn't just them. Actually, it was Jesus' own followers. Their expectations didn't match reality either. A little bit earlier in the Gospels, Jesus is talking to Peter and the other disciples. And Jesus says to Peter, look, this is all fine and good and I love being with you, but I hope you know where this is headed. I'm going to go and I'm going to die on a cross. And Peter couldn't imagine it. The story says that Peter looks to Jesus and he says, Jesus, not you. That's definitely not going to happen to you because you're going to be the king. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, because you don't understand the redemptive story of God. And Peter's expectation didn't match reality. And in another story, there's James and John, these two brothers of a man named Zebedee. And they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, Jesus. We want to be seated at your right hand and your left hand when you come into your glory. What they were saying is, Jesus, we want to be your chief of staff and your vice president when you become king. And Jesus says, you have no idea what you are asking for. Because James and John and Peter... And all of those people who were there on Palm Sunday, they wanted the glory. And they wanted the power. And their expectations did not align with reality. And if we're willing to stop for just a few moments and to be honest with ourselves, we're much more like James and John and Peter. We are much more like that crowd on Palm Sunday than we probably want to admit. Because as followers of Jesus, we want the glory. As followers of Jesus, we want the power. One of the things that I've been able to do, because we're not worshiping together live on Sunday morning in the room, is that I have been watching lots and lots of church services. And if you pay attention, all the songs that we sing are about power and they're about glory sermons that I'm hearing all these other preachers preach on, they are about power and they're about glory and they're about how Jesus is going to make everything right. And friends, that's true. I, I do think, I do know that Jesus will make everything right. But there are these moments in our lives where we have to stop and realize that the Christian life, that the Christian walk, isn't always about power and glory. 
that there are moments when we have to stop and understand that if you want to get to the glory, you have to go through Good Friday. There are moments when we have to realize that if you want to get the power of the resurrected Christ, you've got to first go through the cross. And that's hard for us because we don't want to talk about suffering. We don't want to talk about giving something up. We don't want to talk about not being in control of all things. But if you want to get the glory, friends, you've got to go through the cross. And Jesus says, if you want to see the king lifted up, you don't look to the temple in Jerusalem, but instead you look to the hill of Golgotha. And there on the cross we see him lifted up high, shining gloriously. <laughs> and it's a paradox, isn't it? And I understand. You know, right now for me, I know many of you are, are thinking the same thing I am. That I want that God of power. I want that Jesus who is sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, ruling over all of creation. I want Him to exercise His authority over the universe and to get rid of this COVID-19 virus. I want Him to be present with us right now. Because there are retirement accounts that have been devastated. There are people who are sick. If you've seen the news... Estimates are now 100,000, 200,000 Americans could potentially die. And the global catastrophe is significantly greater. And, and what I want and what we all desperately want and are praying for is that the Jesus of glory and the Jesus of power would come down and exercise that in the world. And I do believe, I want you to know this, I do believe that all will be well. I do believe that God will somehow use all of this to bring glory to Himself. But in this moment, it is so incredibly appropriate that we find ourselves going through Holy Week. Because while we want Jesus in His glory to be here, what we are finding as we go throughout this week is not Jesus sitting at the right hand of God the Father, but instead Jesus on the cross on Good Friday. And many of us can identify with His words in a way that we could have never imagined a few months ago. My Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you find yourself feeling that way right now, if that is the prayer that you are uttering, you're in good company and it's okay because that's the very thing that Jesus himself prayed. And if we want to get to the glory 
we don't just stay at Palm Sunday and then arrive at Easter. Instead, we begin at Palm Sunday and we make our way through the cross. And only then do we arrive at the power and the glory of Easter. Friends, we're, we're going to get there. Next Sunday, we'll gather together virtually, and we will celebrate the moment that changed human history and the history of the cosmos forever. Next week, we will celebrate Easter, and we will magnify and glorify the one who says that he is reconciling all things unto himself. So don't get me wrong. We will celebrate because God has defeated death, and all shall be well. But on this week and on this day, it is entirely appropriate that we watch Jesus coming into the city and we remember where He is heading. He is heading to the cross. Will we pick up our cross and follow Him? That is the question for each and every one of us that we need to ask this morning. Let's take a moment now. Let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful for this morning, for the opportunity to come and worship you from the safety of our own homes. And God, many of us have this expectation of Jesus in glory, of Jesus in triumph. And my prayer for all of my brothers and sisters who are watching online today, O oh God, is that they would understand, that we would understand, you can't get to the glory without first going to the cross. O oh God, help us to know that. Help us to celebrate that on this day and to pick up our cross and to follow Jesus. Lord, this is our prayer. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.